0: Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos D'Avelis. Exactly 200 years ago, President Monroe outlined what became known as the Monroe Doctrine, a doctrine that framed U.S. foreign policy for nearly a century. Just as Monroe was formulating this new policy, however, an unexpected event occurred, the Greek Revolution. Professor Aristotle Giambidis, the author of the recent book, The Monroe Doctrine and the Greek Revolution, joins me on the 200th anniversary of the Monroe Doctrine to look at how the Greek fight for independence captivated the American public, the role it played in the formulation of the Monroe Doctrine, and the ways in which the Greek fire and the Monroe Doctrine set the framework that has come to define U.S. Greek relations for almost two centuries. Ari, great having you back on The Greek Current.
1: It's my pleasure to be back.
0: Ari, How does the Greek Revolution impact President Monroe's plans as he's preparing to unveil what we know today as the Monroe Doctrine?
1: Well, it actually has to do with Monroe and the Monroe Doctrine in two very specific ways. First of all, the United States of America is a republic. What does that mean? It means that people vote, not the enslaved, not women, but there's actually a democracy, and it's one of the most democratic places in the world at that point. In a democracy, Public opinion is important. Politicians, for better or worse, do listen to what the people have to say. And what is mind-blowing is the fact that after 1821 and the Greek Revolution, the American people rise in support of the Republican Revolutionary Greeks. This support is not limited to South or North. It doesn't have a geographic basis of support. It is supported by people who are very much part of the elite Jefferson, uh, people who speak ancient Greek, who have gone to college. Very few people did back then and are fluent in what we now call what we used to call the classics, but also average people. So it doesn't have to do with class. It doesn't have to do with region. It doesn't have to do with gender. Because both women and men rose to support Greece. Such was the support for the Greek cause that, as you alluded to before, the contemporary people referred to it as the Greek fire or the Greek fervor. This is not something that we came and said, okay, put a label on. That was happening during that time. So huge popular support. And what do they want? They want to recognize the Greek revolutionaries as a state. And to be honest, it helped that the Greeks were white, Christian, oppressed by Muslims. The fact that we had uh, huge massacres at that point in time covered by the, the American press also played a role. When Greeks did something bad didn't get uh, much publicity so let's say there was a pro-greek bias there are various reasons there was a romantic affinity with ancient greece the birthplace uh, of democracy all that very much helps to explain the support and the support was there there's no doubt it was strong it was widespread and it was growing so for monroe and his administration They have to make a decision. The decision is, do we recognize or not the Greek revolution? They have to respond, not just to an event that is happening in Europe, but to the popular support of the event that is happening in Europe. And in the Monroe Doctrine, which, by the way, was not called the Monroe Doctrine at that point, there are basically three non-consecutive paragraphs that talk about foreign policy and one is devoted to the Greek cause. And what is surprising, maybe, is the fact that although the administration had some very warm words about the Greeks, they did not heed popular support and decided not to recognize the Greek revolution. So in that sense, what happens with the Monroe Doctrine has a direct impact on the Greek revolution. The United States at that point does not formally recognize Greece. And all sorts of lessons are deduced from this fact.
0: Undoubtedly, Ari, you know, the issue of the Greek Revolution wasn't the top concern for Monroe at the time. But despite this, is it all the more impressive then that it occupied such a high place on the political agenda?
1: You're actually suggesting something that is extremely important. And in my view, it's one of the big lessons that we derived from Monroe 200 years ago, and it's still applicable to Greek-American relations today. We talk about Greek-American relations, bilateral relations, and there are a lot of things that happen, especially in education or culture, that are truly of a bilateral nature. However, since 1821, the United States rarely views Greece alone. What the United States does with Greece is usually seen through a regional, or even a global prism. In other words, it's not just Greece, but today, the East Med, Ukraine, the Balkans, during the Cold War, it was part of containment. The Truman Doctrine was not just about Greece, it was really about the globe. So the United States, since the very beginning, since 1821, 1823, does not view, in terms of its foreign policy, view Greece alone. It's part of a wider dialogue or wider concerns. So you're absolutely correct. The American administration was looking at the issue of Greek recognition, but it was also looking at relations with all the other great powers of the day. And let me say very quickly that although the United States was tremendously ambitious as a country, it was back then much, much smaller and less powerful than it is today. Population about 11 million. Fewer than half of the states that it has today. So it was not one of the great powers of the world. It was probably the most ambitious power in the world, and uh, for good reason. But the United States, when deciding what to do with Greece, had to fit this decision with relations with the Holy Alliance, very conservative, Great Britain, France, Spain, Greece was part of a wider geopolitical rationale. In retrospect, what is amazing is not that the Monroe administration did not recognize the Greek Revolution because the Monroe Doctrine was basically a document that told the Europeans to stay away from the Western Hemisphere and certainly not to bring their monarchical, political systems to that part of the world and this is really what happened with a couple of exceptions in brazil and a couple of short-lived ones in mexico there were no monarchies kings that kind of system in the western hemisphere so it would have been a little bit rich for the united states in the same document that says with a certain degree of audacity keep out of our affairs do not bring your political systems here and on the same document to say but We recognize a republic in Europe. It almost, as much as I would have liked it being Greek and everything, I understand how difficult that is. However, the Secretary of State back then was John Quincy Adams, the son of former President uh, John Adams. And subsequently, he also became President of the United States. And he kept a diary. You know, back in the, remember when people actually kept diaries, he was very meticulous about keeping a diary. So there's a cabinet meeting, and he returns home. And Monroe had just presented the first draft of what we now call the Monroe Doctrine. And John Quincy Adams reports in his diary that the first draft is recognizing the Greek Revolution and the Greek Republic. The second and final draft, they changed that. So for me, what is amazing is not that Greece was not recognized at that point. What is amazing is how close it came. And I think the reason that it came so close had to do with the really good feelings and positive feelings and support that the American people felt for the Greeks.
0: And that positive feeling and that support has been a cornerstone of U.S.-Greek relations for the last 200 years. And I want to bring us to today now, Ari. Last year in May, Prime Minister Mitsotakis delivered a historic speech to a joint session of Congress, and we are seeing a confluence of values and interests like never before between Greece and the United States. Can we say that, you know, the Greek fire that consumed American philhellenes 200 years ago has also engulfed the D.C. officialdom today?
1: So two things. One is the positive feelings that the American people have felt for the Greeks was not a one-off. There are other manifestations of it, and something that is partly forgotten is 100 years ago after the Asia Manor catastrophe, the widespread American philanthropy in Greece. And in fact, to this day, we have a lot of donations and a lot of support, and this is people to people. However, when it comes to governments, we have not, from a Greek perspective, always seen the support that we think and I think we deserve. There are some really bad episodes, what happened in Cyprus in 1974, the support for the Greek for which Bill Clinton, president, then apologized in Athens in 1999, and other episodes. So basically, I think you have four things. You have values, you have personalities, you have interests, and you have policies. And the values are pretty much constant. We don't have different values. I think that's a constant. But... What we have today is what I think the people would have liked to have seen in 1823, a confluence of personalities, interests, values, and policies. They have aligned. So in many ways, the spirit and the policy goals of the American people in 1823, when the Bono Doctrine was enunciated, we see that happening. Today, I don't know for how long it's going to last because it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future, as Yogi Berra has famously said. But right now, we're living in a moment, and I'm sure that the people who were on the forefront of supporting Greece in 1823 would have been very, very, very pleased with what is going on today.
0: Ari, it's been great chatting with you, as always. Thanks for joining. You're welcome. In other news, the Cyprus government and U.S. energy company Chevron have successfully concluded negotiations on the development of the Aphrodite gas field, marking a significant breakthrough, according to a report by the Associated Press. The details of the agreement remain undisclosed, but officials from Cyprus describe it as mutually beneficial for both parties. While the precise date of the deal's finalization remains unclear, the agreement puts an end to prolonged negotiations that have impeded the field's development for years. The resolution of these negotiations opens the door for the extraction of hydrocarbons from the Aphrodite gas field, which is estimated to hold 4.2 trillion cubic feet of gas. Finally, on Friday night, Fitch ratings upgraded Greece to investment grade, raising Greece's sovereign credit rating to BBB- from BB+. A majority of the major rating agencies have now reinstated Greece's investment grade after 13 years in junk status, given that in October, Standard & Poor's also upgraded Greece. This has left Moody's as the only major rating agency that has not yet upgraded Greece back to investment grade, as it needs to take Greece up one more notch for that. In this decision, Fitch highlighted Greece's favorable debt dynamics, its commitment to fiscal consolidation, economic growth, improving banking sector, and commitment to reforms. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.